It is another rainy Friday here. It is Friday, September 29th, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. This is Kevin Mahoney, editor and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support this show for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash RC Press. Good morning, Emily. You can help put, you can help the, that's where my my whole brain is like that today. Um, you can help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time we go live. <clears throat> and if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on. Or leave a comment to let other folks know why you like the show. Little things like that help other people find the show. Well, on today's news, breaking uh, breaking news, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein has died at the age of 90. Um, she apparently died overnight <clears throat> after ongoing health issues, <clears throat> um, which will leave an open Senate seat there um, and no doubt endless hours of discussion about her legacy on cable news. <clears throat> um, there you have it. Not belittling that, just saying that's what's going to happen. Republicans seem hell-bent on shutting down the government as a deal to fund the government by September 30th. Deadline is, well, nowhere in sight. Yesterday, the government started notifying federal employees that a shutdown is imminent and will start seeing government layoffs. Military personnel will stop receiving their paychecks. WIC payments, right? WIC payments for kids. Maybe got a couple days right, of reserve funds, right? So those will stop, <clears throat> leaving more kids in hunger. Many national parks will shut down. SNAP benefits uh, may have to dip in emergency funds, but they'll be able to keep going for, oh, maybe a week or two. And then they'll, they'll, those will get pulled. And lots of other disruptions in our life. For no good reason, <clears throat> other than the extremists control the Republican Party. <clears throat> but hey, no worries. When it comes to student loan repayments, they will resume as scheduled on Sunday, October 1st. That's right. <clears throat> Government shutdown will not affect the repayment of student loans. How about that? <clears throat> More proof that we can't do good things. <laughs> Governor Shapiro announced this week that automatic voter registration will be the norm for the Commonwealth now. Anytime that kind of folks, you know, apply for, a, you know, permit, uh, get their driver's license, they'll automatically be registered to vote. <clears throat> um, now, if they don't want to be registered, they can opt out. If they say, no, 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 I don't want to take part in democracy, they can they can opt out. <clears throat> it doesn't automatically <clears throat> put them in a political party. It just says, you have the right to vote now. Pretty cool. 
And more Penridge School Board chaos as the board passes anti-trans policy regarding sports and biological sex. Saw that coming. <clears throat> and the lawsuit against Penridge School Board's shadow book banning practices went to court on Tuesday. Yep, way to go, Darren Lawson. And the mounting legal fees in the district have caused more strife among board members. Uh, board members suggested that um, that it's uh, close, almost $600,000 in legal fees have been paid this year. <clears throat> That's like almost triple, I think, from what they normally pay. <clears throat> right? Um, but, well, at least one board member seemed to suggest that actually the actual fees are closer to a million dollars. Nobody knows for sure, though, because the people who have control of the board, yeah, the Moms for Liberty crew, people who control the board are not sharing information with the rest of the board members, nor to the public, nor to the folks who are actually paying <clears throat> those bills, right? <clears throat> They're carrying out their ideological agenda on our backs. <clears throat> How about that? Well, they did talk about Jordan Adams' uh, new report. Yes, uh, lots of he's getting his hundreds of thousands of dollars. <clears throat> he gave a new report, yep, which was contained in an email, apparently, and uh, not widely circulated. But most of his report was actually him defending himself against critiques of what he's doing for the district. So let's just get this straight. Taxpayers in the Penridge School District are unwillingly paying Jordan Adams as a consultant and paying for him and the time it takes him to write personal defenses of his politicized agenda, <clears throat> right? So not only is Jordan Adams rewriting the curriculum in the Penridge School District for social studies and English for now, but he's also taking taxpayer money from the district, right? So that he can sit down and respond to his critics. <clears throat> Didn't see that in the contract. Nope. And again, got to hand it to Joan Cullen for, for this at least. <clears throat> She's basically came out and said at the board meeting, look, we've asked him to come here. We figured if we're paying him, he should at least be here to present the reports, whether it's on Zoom or in person. Granted, he's in Michigan, but he doesn't come to the board. He just sends emails to select members of the board. Jordan Adams. Gotta love them. Gotta love them. Jordan Adams, Jordan Blomgren. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> oh, I'm sure Megan knows too, Ross. Good morning. Lots going on there. Lots going on there. And the PA climate convergence begins this Sunday. Uh, that'll be out in Harrisburg. I'll have all the details. I'll be out there uh, for the day, interviewing people, talking to people, um, and uh, we're doing a little interviewing. I'm uh, kind of pretty excited about it. Um, it is, uh, we've had Karen Ferdin. I'm sorry, I'm <clears throat> still getting over this like persistent kind of like cold, cold or something. Um, but we've had uh, Karen Ferdin on the show talking about the PA climate convergence coming up. Um, and um, <clears throat> it's going to be a good two days. On Sunday is going to be kind of lots of events, public events for everybody to kind of gather, talk about climate solutions. And then on Monday is going to be a lobbying day. Um, we're pushing for climate actions um, in the PA legislature. And for more PA progressive talks, tune, in, tune into the Rick Smith Show's live stream at 9 p.m. Eastern on his YouTube channel, Twitter, or Facebook. 
Subscribe to his podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Head on over to the ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. <clears throat> and you got to check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast if you haven't already. The amazing PA women stirring the political <clears throat> cauldron behind this podcast rock the house. And they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus. That's at the Night Caucus on Twitter. And subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, <clears throat> or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't heard, The Signal is a new podcast for the Bucks County Beacon. Excuse me. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Twice a month, The Signal will shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. Serial invites guests to provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. We also have the new podcast, uh, episode two coming up of The Civic Circle. That is the Gen... Z, Gen Z podcast, Gen Z hosted podcast, Gen Z oriented podcast, right? Only at the Bucks County Beacon. Yep. You can get this on the Civic Circle and the Signal by heading over to the buckscountybeacon.podbean.com. Um, check out that or, you know, wherever you get your podcast, go ahead and subscribe. Attention all you gamers out there. <clears throat> the Game Inn is a Quakertown-based black family-owned gaming store. They're friends of the show. They've got everything from Retro N64s, latest consoles, video games for all platforms, collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops. You got a question about a game, look for something hard to get, they've got you covered. Check them out on the Facebook page or follow them on Twitter at, at The Game Inn. That's with two N's. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. Special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff and on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at, at Song of Day Man. That's with two N's, at Song of Day Man on Twitter. <clears throat> Sorry, I got some little weird stuff going on here. <clears throat> Anyways, we want a progressive future. We need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron for Ragey Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Simply go to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement and the movement in the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month by heading over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, yes, uh, once again, more on the early morning start today, <clears throat> which is how I actually, you know, prefer it, you know, um, when I can make it happen. Got the tea going here because, uh, like I said, you got this persistent cold. It doesn't quite want to fully go away. I was on here. Um, and there's like weird little technology stuff going on. I, I mean, I don't know if other people have been having this issue this week, but um, there's just been weird stuff happening on social media. Um, I, I don't know what to attribute it to other than the kind of normal chaos that's going on there. I'm personally getting more and more frustrated with Twitter. I'm getting more and more frustrated with <clears throat> um, a lot of social media platforms right now. Um, um, everything seems very, very scattered um, and frustrating. So, you know, I've been spending more time on Discord <clears throat> um, in some of the spaces there. Um, and, you know, like I've said before, um, anybody's interested in uh, joining our Discord, uh, you, know, you know, feel free. Um, I'm going to post a new link right in our chat today. Um, but know that, you know, Discord link that we post in chat, that's good for seven days. <clears throat> so if you are interested in uh, joining the Discord, please feel free. But spending more time over there, um, just, you know, because having conversations, exchanging uh, links, um, 
as opposed to, you know, trying to figure out what the hell is actually uh, happening on any of the variety of social media platforms. Um, ironically, ironically, um, Facebook is probably uh, the most useful for me right now, in part because that's where a lot of the school board organizing is happening, right? A lot of the discussions that are happening around that, that's where it's going on. Uh, but Twitter and everything else like that is a, is a mess. <clears throat> um, then we added some other weird things. I don't know if other people encountered this um, this week and now we found this out at the, uh, for some reason, um, the most recent episode of The Signal, the Bucks County Beacons, The Signal, um, was getting blocked from being shared on Facebook for some reason. Um, that was an interview with Steve Nolan, who wrote this book, um, The uh, American Carnage, An Officer's Duty to Warn. Um, that's a book that came out a couple years back when he was... Um, you know, talking about Donald Trump as uh, as a, having a particular kind of, you know, kind of uh, psych, psychological kind of, uh, what do you call it? Psychological uh, d- diagnosis. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. A second uh, diagnosis where he's actually, <clears throat> you know, so-called uh, narcissistic something disorder. I'm sorry, I'm spacing it right at this moment. But anyways, so that interview went up, and then for some reason, it's getting blocked on Facebook. Um, says that you can't share it because somehow it's in it's recognizing it as spam or a violation of the community codes, which is the weirdest thing in the world. Just talking about his book, and um, which has been pretty standard. Um, <clears throat> then even this morning, when I tried to just kind of log into, you know, go to my Discord. Uh, I was personally blocked from accessing my own Discord site and then eventually kind of went away. I think that was more of a glitch on Discord site, but I, I don't know. It's been that kind of week, right? It's been that kind of week. <clears throat> um, anyways, I hope you all are doing well. Um, I know that this is, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Emily's just saying, yes, I heard Twitter wants a selfie and government ID linked in order to keep an account unless you have a premium Twitter account. Yeah, I mean, I'm just like, I look, like, I mean, Twitter, I, you know, I, frankly, uh, you know, I'm at the point where I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't go on Twitter very much anymore. I just, I, I find it, it, it absolutely frustrating. And, you know, if they want me to pay, you want me to give anything else, so I'm just going to delete my account. Cause I'm just, I, I'm just, I've had it. Um, but the, you know, this is, a, this just goes back to some of the things that, you know, we've been talking about ongoing for, for a while now is just that, um, we have to start thinking about new models um, of, you know, of say progressive or independent media, because I think for uh, for too long, I think we've re- we've relied upon these platforms as a way of distributing our say our content about reaching more people, engaging with communities, and building out um, kind of our discussions. Um, but frankly, they're becoming more and more toxic and um, less useful. So, um, you know, I think right now Bucks County Beacon, of course, has got uh, its uh, fall fundraiser going on. Um, you know, if you're interested in helping fund uh, the Bucks County Beacon, uh, head on over to BucksCountyBeacon.com and click on that um, support the beacon uh, link right at the top. Uh, and you can become a subscriber there. Um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> we'll see where it goes. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, as I'm sure that if you're hearing the sound of my voice, you've probably already heard that Senator Dianne Feinstein um, has died at the age of 90, and which then basically means you have an open Senate seat, one one fewer Democrats in the uh, the Senate. Um, 
but frankly, I mean, you know, just all being honest, um, you know, her health is, has basically been a serious issue. Um, I mean, it's an, you know, it's no, no secret to anybody that her, her memory has been failing, that she's um, been hospitalized and she's, um, you know, we've had a colleague say that sometimes she doesn't really recognize what's happening sometimes and it goes in and out. <clears throat> then she had this bout of shingles, which then was complicated by encephalitis, which then, but then she returned to work anyways and had no plans apparently to retire. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, you put aside, you know, you have the, uh, you know, I always find there's a bit of a bit of tragedy here um, with, you know, with people like Dianne Feinstein uh, or Mitch McConnell or uh, Nancy Pelosi or Bernie Sanders or Jim, Joe Biden or, you know, l- let's list all the baby boomers um, who are still occupying seats in our government, um, holding on to power. Um, and keeping us, you know, uh, in a frame of reference that is, you know, nearly, you know, half a century old. And I'm not saying that, you know, that old folks are kind of worthless. Like, I'm not saying that we should, you know, we should discriminate against or something like that. So we just, But it's a fact of the matter <clears throat> is that, you know, this has been a problem in our politics for quite some time, is that you have, you know, people who sort of made their careers coming out of the civil rights movement and coming, you know, in the, in the, and even in the nineties, like the Bill Clintons and all this kind of stuff. Once they get elected, they don't want to give up on power. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. I've been, I, I don't know, but doing a lot, a lot of reassessment of my own assumptions and kind of uh, about politics and about what people's investments are. Um, um, <clears throat> and why people do what they do. And, you know, I, I, I just can't help to think that a lot of these folks hold on to power for, for two reasons, right? One, it's because that's their job, right? They don't see it as an ideological commitment or a political commitment to a particular cause. It's there just to keep their, their, keep their job, right? And the benefits. And then once they've been established there for long, for long enough, then it's about control, right? Then it's about ego and control and things like this. And that's a shame Um, because not only, look, I mean, there's a problem when it comes to, you know, people who had their politics defined in the 1990s or the 1960s, right? Um, When that's kind of their formative moments in politics, right? Um, Unless that they are keeping up with kind of significant changes, right? Um, then that affects what we can do in our politics today, right? You know, we've, again, this has been, you know, one of our hobby horses on this show is kind of talking about how, you know, the people that really came to power in the 1990s, you know, people like Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer and you know, all through that kind of that Clinton wave of stuff, right? You know, they may have been fairly progressive at the time, right? But they were also came into politics in a moment when, all Democrats were afraid of Republicans, right? Because you know they had experienced the Reagan revolution and they 
Uh, they were afraid of being called liberals, and so they kind of all tacked to the center, and they thought that's what that's what politics were. Real politics were just about you know moving to the center and kind of meeting the Republicans halfway. And they stopped doing politics, politics, right? Organizing politics, building that next generation, right? Um, arguing for a particular kind of cause. No, instead they started playing like word games and um, like PR moves, right? But politics became a function of PR as opposed to <clears throat> organizing on the ground. Right. And we've seen this everywhere. This is not just our federal government. I mean, you know, certainly you see this in 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 unions. You see this in um, kind of, you know, most of these institutions. Right. Um, it's only now that, say, kind of younger generations are breaking through and demanding a different kind of politics. Right. And look, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I'm in my 50s. Right. So I'm not I'm not like, uh, you know, I, I'm no spring chicken here. Right. And so, I mean, like, you know, I implicate myself in this, too, as well. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that, uh, well, you know, there's always complicated reasons. But, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, um, it was, this was hard to do, right, that I stepped back with the work that I was doing in my union, right, is because there were just really awesome, you know, younger folks and, you know, not, not like, like, you know, young, young, but they're, they're you know, newer faculty members who are getting involved. In the union had a lot of energy, great ideas, you know, and in some, and sometimes, <clears throat> you know, it's, you, you gotta, I think you have to be in a place where you say, look, uh, why am I continuing to take up a spot? <laughs> right. Right. Especially if I'm recognizing these a whole bunch of kind of really competent, smart, kind of engaged people that are coming up, why am I going to be taking a spot? and put myself in competition with those folks being able to kind of, you know, gain that experience and define it going on, you know, so, I mean, and shifting my roles, you know, I mean, I think a lot about that. And I, you know, I, I wish that we had a democratic party leadership um, that thought in the same way, right. That thought more about, okay, you know, who's going to be the next generation and then who's going to be the next generation. Right. I don't know. I don't know. So, you know, we'll see what happens now. Um, um, <clears throat> Feinstein, I mean, I assume that they're going to have a uh, special election or an appointment. I'm uh, not exactly sure of um, what California's laws are. I was just thinking about it kind of at the moment. I mean, right now, if we look at it right right now, the set that brings basically uh, the. Um, I'm trying to look at here, yeah, that basically brings. Oh, now ain't that interesting? So it looks like that's going to bring the Senate to <laughs> a tie. Could that be true? Can this be true? Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait. <clears throat> Let me just, yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. <clears throat> if I'm looking at this correctly, that, so that basically means that, um, forty nine, there's forty nine Republicans, <clears throat> forty seven Democrats, and three independents who are currently caucusing with the Democrats. So by my count, then that puts it at even. I haven't even thought about that <clears throat> until just now. So 
we shall see. Um, that's crazy. Anyways, I'm getting way, way distracted. <clears throat> so we shall see. And now this is even kind of more important because, uh, well, <clears throat> right now, we are facing a government shutdown um, uh, midnight on Saturday, tomorrow, uh, because uh, the Republicans who are in control of the House, they can't get out of their own way to actually put together some sort of budget um, that they can agree on. They can't even agree among themselves, right? <clears throat> not, not they are passing a bill that Democrats won't agree with. Like, they can't even get a bill that they themselves can pass, right, with their own majority, right? Because of this House Freedom Caucus, the extremists there, they're kind of like want to hold everything hostage, Right. They want to get rid of the inquiries into Trump. They want to kind of like, you know, impeach Biden. They want to do all this stuff. It has nothing to do with the actual budget. The actual functionings of the government just has to do with their ideological hit points. And that's what they're going for. Right. They're going for the ideological hit points. Um, and as a result, um, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of people are going to have to pay the price. <clears throat> right. So you have like whatever, 300,000, 350,000 federal workers, um, which are going to stop getting paid. Um, there will be some of those federal workers, including some folks that are working overseas and this kind of stuff that will continue to be uh, asked to work, right, because they are considered essential, but they will not be getting paid. Uh, military personnel will stop getting paid. Right. WIC payments, you know, for kids. For kids that, you know, are hungry and need assistance, right, are in poor families. They've got, like, when I was reading about this, at least in the Washington Post was saying, you got about two days of kind of additional funds that they could stretch it out to make sure those payments get there. But after that, gone, right? SNAP, you know, food stamps, right? SNAP benefits, right? They have some, a little bit of reserve that they, maybe they can go a few weeks before um, they have to start pulling money away from people who need food, Right? National parks are going to get shut down. So not only everybody who's kind of made plans to go to national parks, who book vacations to go to national parks, but all those towns around national parks are now going to be impacted by this decision to shut stuff down. It's, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know what to do with this anymore. <clears throat> Seriously. I mean, and, and it's even more frustrating because it's like, it literally feels like this is out of our hands. You know, I, th I think about this. Some of the things I've been contending with this week is, you know, thinking about what can be done, right? And there's certain things that it's too late, right? It's too late to fix the immediate problem, right? The only fix to the immediate problem is like a long-term solution. What do I mean by that? I mean, if you look at like a generation or more of, of say, Democrats, progressives, folks on the left, basically ignoring the Supreme Court or assuming the Supreme Court was just a capital G good, right, that was going to do the right thing because that's what they did down in the 1960s, right, in the 1970s, right, that they could continue to do this. No, and then the right wing basically had an agenda. For 40 years, they basically targeted it. They built institutions, right? They put together pipelines to bring uh, new kind of potential, you know, new kind of law students, right, through the federal society and pipeline them to federal uh, judgeships, 
um, as long as they kind of agree with their kind of right-wing conservative principles and particular theories of government. Um, they targeted law schools to make sure that their version of the law, their version of their understanding of um, precedent, their versions of the understanding of um, what the appropriate role of government was something that would make its way into law school curricula. Right. And then you have Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Right. And most Republican leadership. Right. Um, since uh, Newt Gingrich have basically been like fully targeted. Supreme Court, Supreme Court. We have the courts, the courts, the courts, the courts. We're going to appoint as many as we possibly can. And we're going to stymie as many of Democratic appointments as possible. And then finally, under D Donald Trump, he got three appointments happen all line up at the right time. I right, got three appointments. And now what happened? Roe v. Wade was overturned. And there's no immediate fix of that. Right? It's, it's the only, it's only like, you know, wound care at this point. It's only trying to kind of find what we can do to kind of help and get around this, these, these restrictions and build toward changing that. But these are lifetime appointments, Right? So we have to fight on the state level, right? We have to fight for legislation. But we also know, you know, back in 2000, <clears throat> 2000, no, 2008, I'm sorry, into 2010, say 2010, really, because it was 2009 elections, right? Republicans had a plan, right, to gerrymander all the states to make sure that they were going to be able to kind of um, take over governorships take over the control of the um, state legislatures through gerrymandering their district, right? So they had a whole plan, red map, right? We've talked about it on the show. We've had people on the show to talk about it. Trying to sound the alarm. We got to pay attention to this, but you know, it was too little too late. 2010 census comes, Republicans have controls of state legislatures during the Obama administration, right? This is during the Obama administration more Democratic state legislator seats were lost than any period of time in something the last like 40 years or something like that. Forty years, like just like and that's something about and that you know again that that you know we've talked about it before. We can go through this again and again and again. Under the Obama administration, they had built an amazing organi like organization up to the tw uh, 2008 election, right? Unbelievable. Incredible coalition, right? It felt like a bright moment in American history. All these people coming together. And then once Obama took office, right, the mantra was, we got this. He shut down the organization, peeled off certain people, and controlled who had access um, to the Obama administration. Instead of, look, this is where I give a ton of credit to Joe Biden, right? I mean, he brought folks in. He brought folks in from the Sunrise Movement, for example. He brought young folks in, right? And, you know, part because he understood, <laughs> like, what he needed, right? But, you know, that, that could have been there in Obama, too, as well. We'd be in a very different place today. But instead, no, the experts will take care of it up at the top. We don't, we don't, we're not going to invest in organizing. Obama said, I'm going to put on a, a, a comfortable pair of shoes and I'm going to head out there in the picket lines with, with labor. Never showed up on a picket line in his life. Joe Biden becomes the first 
U.S. president ever to walk a picket line while in office. Right? <clears throat> but that's after, you know, all the destruction. <laughs> so that's, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I mean, it's like, you know, when you've gerrymandered all these state, state districts, right? I mean, yes, you can say, okay, we have to go to the states and we have to fight for Roe v. Wade benefit. That's right. Absolutely, we have to. Right? But we're doing so after we have now we have to go through all these court fights to kind of get fair fair maps again just to get to the point where we have a shot at turning over and flipping state legislatures. I mean, if the Republicans had not gerrymandered all those districts, right, in 2010, I would I would just put, I mean, again, whatever, these are thought experiments, right? But I would guarantee you, if not before the overturning of Roe v. Wade, I would guarantee you that had that happened, had that not happened with the gerrymandering, and then Roe v. Wade got overturned, there is no way in hell that those any of those state legislatures or most of those state legislatures would remain Republican because women were engaged and supporters of abortion rights were engaged more than we've seen in ages. Right? But it was not enough to deal with all the shenanigans that had happened before then. So there we have it. So now the you know Republicans are shutting down the government, right? And I'm you're sitting there, okay. I watch the news, I read the newspapers, and it's like a freaking you know, it's like a drama. It's like I'm just reading about like personalities and celebrities who are kind of fighting with each other, and we're all just subjects in their rule. Yes, we can call. Yes, we can lobby. Yes, we can do that stuff. But look, that. Craziness is is baked in. Yes, we. I mean, twenty twenty four. We got another great shot, at least at the federal level. And that's why, like, what's happening now at the local level, right, with school boards and with all this kind of stuff, is so critical. Emily says Bernie is rather an exception, though. Well, let me say, let me say I, you know, Emily, I, I have to say I disagree a little bit with that. So, Emily, look, I love Bernie Sanders, love what Bernie Stan- Sanders did and all that. But I would say is like, look, I would I would say the same thing about Bernie. Right. I mean, I would say that that Bernie is like. He's amazing at what he's been doing. Right. And, and I would say, if anything, the culture has caught up with him. But, you know, again, his politics were formed then, too, as well, not just in terms of, hey, Amy, what's up? Um, his politics performed then too, not just in terms of like his ideology, but I mean the practices, right? And, and, and just like, you know, all these other folks, right? It's like, you know, I mean, Bernie has done a lot to help support the squad and things like this, but who's going to take over from Bernie in, in Vermont? What's his organization look like? Does he have an organization that is mobilizing people and bringing up new candidates in here? I, I, I don't believe so. I mean, it's a personality. It's, an organi- it's organizing around a personality. And, and again, I, I want to separate out something here. Is ideologically, yes. Right? Ideologically, yes. But this is why I think, like, AOC is so critical. And yes, Bernie lent a, 
a great amount of his voice to supporting her. Absolutely. But AOC, like AOC, right? Rashida Tlaib. The whole crew. Those are the folks that we that should be in front right now. And instead, they're still regu- regulated to relatively marginal positions, right? And I think they they all have a different understanding, uh, like a, a, a different understanding of politics too, as well. They they understand organizing. They understand building a movement. They understand having a broad base. Ilhan Omar has just done amazing things. She should be at the forefront of what's happening in our kind of the Foreign Relations Committee. A leading voice in international politics. Absolutely. But, you know, we're in this churn. We got, you know, we got to clear out the baby boomers before we can actually kind of move this through. And again, I don't say that, listen, I want to be really clear, right? Because I've had this back and forth with some people like on social media and things like this before. I'm not saying baby boomers suck. I am not saying that, (laughs) right? I want to be absolutely clear about that. What I'm saying is that building an organization, a sustainable organization, right, over time, right, means that you have to make way for other people to take over the reins, it cannot be personality driven or this kind of entitlement driven. Right? Even the way that the Democratic Party, for example, does its leadership at the, at the national level. Right? I'm talking about like the House leadership and things like this. It's like, you know, did you pay your dues? Did you, did, did you follow line? And it's based on just seniority. Well, seniority is something, but I don't know if that makes you the best qualified to be the leader of a party, especially in times of crisis. I mean, we are facing a climate crisis right now. And we have a a leadership in both parties. Obviously, the Republican Party is just off the ledge on this one. But well, a crisis of leadership that is not acting like we're in a crisis. I mean, it's like astounding. And it's crazy making, right? I mean, we know there's this, this this crisis. It's barreling down us like we're watching, like we're standing at the bottom of the hill and there's this giant boulder rolling down, right? And we're told like the best that we can hope for is to be Sisyphus or something like this? I mean, come on. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I think that, you know, you know, again, this is what I mean. Like, I'm not kind of, I'm not, knocking baby boomers, right? Because like, look, for example, there's a lot to be said about what one gains with experience, right? And what can one lend to that? What can one teach, right? And the importance of kind of like, you know, accumulated experience in life and that could be, that is absolutely critical. Being young by itself does nothing, right? Being young means that you're probably more willing to take risks or that you're more willing to, but it doesn't mean that you have the benefit of the same kind of experience and background, right? So for me, it's like all these kind of like the older leaders, right? Who have been around forever, who've been controlling things forever, right? At some point, you get the, the, the role has got to shift when you are now advisor, not controller. You are no longer the face, right? 
You are part of the body, right? That's what I'm talking about. But for, I mean, this is where I say just it becomes like this ego thing. Like just because they got to be up front. They think their voice is so important, these leaders. But imagine if you put in, you know, even if you put in 20 years, 20 years, that's a long time. And then after 20 years, you start to rotate out. You step down from leadership positions, right? You help, you there as a consultant. You're able, they're able to help other people, right? Answer their questions, assist them in moving forward, right? And you have that process that keeps on going. So, anyways, way off track what I was going to talk about. <clears throat> so, anyways, so here we are with the government, shut, the government shutdown. <clears throat> And then it's like, it's like add to add insult to injury, like student loan payments are going to start resuming on Sunday. Right? I mean, this is like, not only are you going to have an impact in the, like just the economy from the government shutdown, now you're going to have an impact in the economy because the, the student loan repayment beginning here, because our current makeup of our government cannot do good things for people, like eliminate student debt. And because the courts are stacked, the courts keep on pushing back on kind of like, you know, Biden administration's attempt to eliminate or forgive a bunch of student debt, cancel student debt. It's just, just a mess. <clears throat> Emily says, yeah, that's why people like Schumer frustrate me. He absolutely refuses to call out Menendez. Uh, and I get really frustrated that I keep getting texts to, to donate all the time. 100% Emily. <clears throat> <clears throat> I give Fetterman a ton of credit right now, but basically stepping up and calling out for uh, Menendez to, to, uh, to step down. Right? Only after Fetterman did this did Cory Booker, right, the other senator from New Jersey, also call for Menendez. Menendez is known to be one of the most corrupt politicians in the Senate. Yes, he's a Democrat, right? He's been known long-term. But because... Democratic Party leadership has been so worried about its seat and doesn't want to kind of like, <clears throat> like be uncomfortable with other members, they've refused to hold him accountable. And now look, now we're going to be heading into election year and you've got a Democratic Party, Chuck Schumer in particular, who refuses to kind of like stop the corruption in his own party at a time when anti-corruption stuff is kind of pretty kind of a big deal. <clears throat> but Fetterman steps up and says, Menendez should get out of here. And I love the fact that he said, like, you know, look, I don't, I don't even want to, I don't even want to hear stories. I want to hear about explanations about, you know, how the gold bars got underneath his mattress, right? Doesn't matter. Does that mean he's like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to sit there in another media cycle of Menendez kind of like lying to the public. He's been brought up on these charges multiple times, right? He's been found. I mean, this guy's a, you know, <clears throat> guy is corrupt. He needs to go. <clears throat> Love to hear what's going on in your neck of the woods, everybody. Uh, <laughs> well, PA has been uh, been an interesting place of, of late. We still, uh, <clears throat> well, uh, I was glad to hear this week uh, Governor Shapiro announced that uh, automatic voter registration is going to be here for the Commonwealth. That is now going to be the new norm. Um, that is great. 
automatic voter registration. You know, it, it's interesting because um, um, what's nice about that, right? Um, you know, I've been I've been a, a judge of elections now for uh, for a couple cycles now, right? And one of the things during the primaries, one of the things that uh, is the most frustrating. Right. Uh, and I think for, ev- for not just for me, but for everybody I work with. Right. You know, people have been doing this for a long time is y- you get you get frustrated in kind of. In a good way, I guess. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> um, is that you have people that show up. Right. And they they want to participate. Right. But they're not registered for a political party. Right. So they got themselves to voter re- to register, but they don't like, you know, they're not big fans of the Republicans. They're not big fans of the Democrats. And I have to say what's been interesting, at least in my in my, uh, you know, in my ward, like where I'm where I'm at. Um, it's it's usually people that are, are more on the conservative end of things that are uh, that are showing up because they want to vote in the primary, but they're not able to because they're not registered as a Republican. Right. Because they're actually more to the right, right? But nonetheless, right? I mean, you know, but that's not my my job is not to deal with people's political preferences, right? It's just to kind of make sure that they get a chance to vote. Um, but you have to say like, no, you can't because the primary stuff and all this kind of thing. What's nice about this having the opportunity of automatic voter registration, right, is that there's more, there's more opportunities to have that discussion with people before the primaries ever happen. Right. So basically every time, if you're going, if you're, uh, you're going to show up at a state state office, you renew your driver's license or something like this, right. One, you're automatically going to get, um, you're going to all automatically be registered. You turn 18, you're automatically registered. Um, but it's, um, uh, that doesn't give you a political party, but that's an opportunity, you know, again, to say, you know, uh, have, here's a political party. What would be great, it gives us kind of more, it gives like people basically, <clears throat> it puts the emphasis more on organized um, people uh, around particular candidates or causes than it does around just getting registered to vote. One of the biggest, you know, we always have voter registration dives on my, my campus, for example, there's happens like in communities all over the country. Um, and that's a lot of resources and time, <clears throat> right? If you take that away, right, say, look, People just, they're 18 in this country, right? They're a citizen in this country. They're 18 in this country. They should be registered to vote. So they're automatically going to be registered to vote. So no longer do you have to kind of like have those conversations about why somebody should get registered. They're already registered and it's going to become increasingly just a normal thing, right? Everybody's registered to vote. Does that mean they have to vote? No, right? Then it becomes kind of like on say candidates and organizations and things like this, try to mobilize people to get out and kind of vote for their candidates, right? That's a kind of much better use of time and resources in my mind than trying to just get convince people that they should actually uh, register to vote and to do it correctly, <laughs> right? <clears throat> the more you can take away the technical and like formal barriers to something like, you know, the franchise for voting in a democratic country, right? The more that you can focus on the actual work of civic engagement, right? I think people in general, like when they're faced with kind of burdensome bureaucracy or kind of forms and hurdles and things like this. I don't want to do that. I can't tell you how many times I've been there for voter registration drives, like in voter registration drives, like at least all the ones that I've been part of, whether I've been part of them for my union, what I've been part of in communities, what I've been parting is just, you know, other organizations. You're, you're, 
you're there as a nonpartisan, <laughs> right? For the most part. I mean, sometimes you have Democrats who go like you know, whatever. Um, but when I, the ones that I've been doing are mostly nonpartisan, right? And so you're saying, hey, do you want to register to vote? And I cannot tell you how many times there's people that come up to register to vote, right? Or you have that conversation with them and they get that look on their face, right? Well, they don't trust you, right? They don't trust you because they think that you've got an agenda, right? They think that you're trying to convince them of something other than what you're doing. Like they're trying to figure out, are you Democrat or Republican? Are you, what are you trying to go do, right? And then, you know, if you're lucky, you get a chance to have a conversation with that person and let them know, right? But, it, you know, that's... Uh, we should not be doing that kind of thing. And, and like that, that should not happen. Like in a, in a democ in a country that calls itself democratic, right. Or Republic, whatever you want to say, that should not be an issue. Right. If we are a part of legitimacy comes from voting, right. From the kind of the voice of the people, then we should make sure that's as easy as possible. And then our arguments can be over kind of like, who do you vote for and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Ross says door knocking on boomers doors going well, definitely leaning towards Dems. That's great. Right. Um, there's an amazing, I tell you, there's an amazing organization um, in, in the Penridge School District um, uh, uh, around kind of the school board candidates and getting people out to vote and kind of going and knocking doors. It's just it's just really it's impressive um, what folks in this community have been able to do is just been has been unbelievable um, in a, a relatively short period of time to kind of mobilize around this stuff. And just in, in some amazing candidates, too, as well. <clears throat> um, Good. <clears throat> yeah, Emily says, yes, there's also a push in PA to have open primaries. Yes. Um, a matter of fact, uh, Brennan, right? I think his last name is Brennan. He is the, um, the state representative to uh, uh, from from this. Well, it's a 29th district, I think. Right. So I don't think it's, it covers where I'm at. <clears throat> it's not where I'm at. But um, uh, who's actually, you know, in Doylestown, right, that he's, uh, you know, uh, going to be co-sponsoring and pushing for open primaries, too, as well. That'd be great. Right. Um, that'd be fantastic. <clears throat> Ross said, look, we need many more door knockers, many more door knockers, right? Um, Ross, you want to give me a link? You got an email of people who they could contact so I can just announce it now so I don't have to look it up while I'm talking. It'd be great. Um, Ross is going to put contact information or tell you where to go in order to look that. It'll be in kind of uh, today's chat. Um, I'm going to pass that off to you, Ross. It'd be great. <clears throat> Um, so the other big uh, news this week, uh, right, happens just, you know, everything just happened in my own backyard these days. Uh, so there was another Penridge School Board meeting. Oh, let, before before I get into this, let me just say, so as I, as you, if you're listening to the show, you know that I've been like, uh, I've been like having a bunch of health issues for the past like month or so, right, so, which has been an absolute, it's been infuriating um, for me. Um, but it's also put me behind on a couple of things, but I want to let you know that. So, um, I'm back on track on getting some of the school board stuff clipped up. I should have later on today, um, some things put up from the, uh, uh August 28th school board meeting. And I know that's like a month, um, a month ago, but I think it's, uh, for, to have it as a record. Um, that's when, um, they passed, um, the new curriculum, um, from Vermilion education, Right, um, changing the social studies curriculum and the English curriculums uh, in the Penridge School District. Um, that was on the first day of school. Um, so they voted on a new curriculum on the first day of school that was going to be thrown at teachers. Right. Um, so I want to have that stuff up there. <clears throat> right. Um, I've gotten most of this past weekend or this past Monday. There was another meeting. Uh, I've broken out most of the discussion, uh, most of the comments for that too as well. We'll start putting that back up on YouTube. Uh, I've got multiple emails from folks that are uh, hoping that we kind of start that again. 
Uh, I've also think I found a way to streamline the process. So it's not going to take me quite as much time so I can get those clips up sooner rather than later. Um, <clears throat> which is a uh, good news. That was one of my struggles too, as well as the way that I was doing it before it was uh, very labor intensive, but I've got a little streamlined now, which should be helpful. So, and this is a perfect reason why this is uh, why I want to be doing this is because this past Monday on um, the Penrith school board, another meeting and they passed like a new policy, which is an anti-trans policy, right? So, um, you know, it, 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 it's so frustrating, right? It's like something that's right from the kind of, you know, it's right out of this kind of, you know, right-wing legal community, right? Um, Independence Legal Center, where the hell they're calling themselves. Um, <clears throat> and it's just a way of kind of stirring up uh, more controversy, right? And it's basically saying that, you know, kids can only play the sports that, um, uh, a cor that correspond to their biological sex. And now they're going to have to pull in uh, uh, birth certificates and proof of their biological sex and, or, you know, and their more records are going to be kept now of biological sex of, um, and more policies are going to be passed along this way. It's, and, you know, this was an opportunity for you know, suddenly out of the woodwork, <clears throat> the Republican candidates for school board, right. Coming up suddenly, Oh my God, like, you know, they, they showed up at a meeting, right? So they showed up at a meeting just so that they could get behind their own little messaging bill to say, yes, it's anti-trans stuff and way to go board and make sure you kind of like, you know, keep those LGBTQ kids uh, kind of like under their thumb. Good job. You know um, I mean, Josh Hogan, right. You know, as, you know, as, as kind of nutty and kind of off the wing extremist as he is, you know, the least you can say it about that guy is that, well, he's been to board meetings before and he said things, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. The other ones, people are like, who the hell is this showing up? Well, I'm a candidate. Oh, are you really? <clears throat> we don't know. We don't know who you are. Right. So anyways, so they passed that policy. Right, which is going to, and I guarantee this because there's already been legal cases and background of this. There's going to be more lawsuits now um, that are basically going to do this. And you know, the fact that now we have our school board is going to be kind of uh, in the business of getting into our kids' biological records, right, and keeping track of their biological records and having that stuff on file, right. It's, it's so messed up. These people's preoccupation with, with the sexuality of children is really disturbing to me. <clears throat> right? Uh, <clears throat> it's really weird. It's just weird. So another thing that came up in the meeting was that uh, Darren Lawson, we've talked about this before on the show, Darren Lawson has filed, uh, you know, he's... Uh, He's got kids in the Penridge School District. Um, he's been at the multiple board meetings, become an outspoken um, advocate um, um, for transparency, um, been a, a very kind of, you know, kind of key voice, right, at the school board meetings, um, pushing back against the extremism on the school board. <clears throat> well, he filed a lawsuit after determining, after figuring, after finding out that the Penridge School Board um, was basically doing these shadow banning of books. Right. And even before they passed their book banning bill. Right. So if you remember last year, what happened was um, the short version of it was uh, the school board, um, particularly the Moms for Liberty contingent, which dominates the school board. Um, the Moms for Liberty uh, um, dominated boards, you know, the the Red Wizards of Thay, as I like to call them. Um, <clears throat> they were being clear that they want to start banning books. And so they had a policy that they want to do. 
Well, Darren Lawson wanted to see what, what books are actually kind of in the library. And so went to kind of, you know, check out like right, all these books that are supposedly controversial, right? What happened? And found out that, huh, all these books that are supposedly, you know, controversial have been checked out. And they've been checked out for like a year, right? They've been checked it out for a long time. Like, how that happen? And they're not checked out by students. So who's checking all these books out? And then when he asked for the information, filed a right to know request, he said, well, well, well I want to make sure that I've got these, uh, these books, right? I want to make sure that to find out which books are actually banned, found out the, oh no, right to know request comes in. All the books were checked back in. So it appears that they were there. And then like the next day, basically they're all checked back out. And nobody on the board is owning up to who did that. And so then they institute a book banning policy, right? And again, like if I want to be fair, right? If, you know, if, if I if you're looking at the if you're in saner times, right? You want to have a process where you can review books, right? And this is there already was a process. That's the thing that kills me. But okay, say you want to update your process where you're going to review books to make sure that that you're having appropriate materials in the, in there. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's a transparent thing, right? And so even then, you had the books, right? There were some books that went through, right? That were, went through their new book banning policy. And the committee or the people that were looking at it said, okay, well, okay, yes, we're going to remove this book and this book, but uh, from the libraries or it'll be behind special access or whatever it's going to be. But this other book is okay. And Jordan Blomgren, because it was on the Moms for Liberty list of books that should be banned, Jordan Blomgren had, had a fit. And she sat there and she read for like 15 minutes. She read parts of the book that were the most salacious in her mind, right? To try to kind of like, like make a point that this should be banned, even though, the policy that she advocated for just went through and worked and it was determined that no, this did not violate anything. She still wanted it banned because it's all she cared about. And then because they have a regular kind of weeding process, right? Say for example, you've got some books that are old, maybe they're kind of uh, the covers are worn or maybe nobody has checked them out in 30 years, right? Then libraries normally go through a weeding process, right? To, books that are no longer kind of really checked out. Maybe they put them in storage or something like this or take them off the kind of shelves for circulation. If they're damaged, they get rid of them, ideally to replace them if it's a, if it's a sought after book. But no, but instead, basically they were trying to use this, somebody who's the, who's the they is, is unclear. <clears throat> um, we're trying to use it evidence that, well, look, these nobody's even reading these books, right? But they had the books checked out. So nobody could get them, right? Just a weird thing. Anyways. So all things were kind of happening. There were people that on the school board that were obviously that were doing things. They were banning, looking to kind of ban more books based upon an ideological agenda. So Darren Lawson sued, right? And that went to court on Tuesday, um, this, this, this past Tuesday. And so we're still, as far as I know, we're still waiting what the, uh, um, to hear what the judge says um, and to see how that case is going to get concluded. Um, but because of this, because this lawsuit went forward, um, there was a little bit of a, I don't know, strife among board members once again, right? Rod Wirtz, right? Um, uh, someone who ran with the extremists, right? Initially um, on the parents, you know, uh, I, I, let me be clear. I'm not saying that he was an extremist. I'm saying that he ran on that slate with those extremists, right? On the Republican Party. He's now switched. He's now running as a Democrat because he can't believe what's happening 
um, in his party, but he raised the issue, right? Um, he raised the issue that said like, hey, you know what? We didn't know all this stuff was going on, right? And then we learned about it in the papers, right? So I would like to know who's banning these books. I would like to know who's taking this stuff away. And I would like to know what our legal costs are. Right? I mean, right now, <clears throat> hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent. Hundreds of thousands of dollars have been spent by the Pattern Ridge School District because of its policies, and more are coming. You pass a policy that is, that is basically... There's already settled law about kind of like trans kid in sports. But if you want to already pass something that is going to go against this settled law, there's going to be more lawsuits, which means more legal stuff. And you know, and you know what they're going to do, right? They're going to say, well, the reason why that there's, we are spending so much money in these lawsuits is because these kind of like communists keep on suing us and we have to defend ourselves. We're the victims, ah, right? That's what they're going to do. Like, they're never going to take any accountability for themselves as being the cause of all this. Right? Never. So they're just going to blame, like, Democrats or blame kind of, like, extremists and blame the kind of hidden communists, like, in our basements for causing all this problem. Right? So they're never going to do this. Right? But just so, you know, this is kind of like according to uh, uh, Jenny Stevens' reporting uh, in the Bucks County Beacon, right? So if we look at right now, uh, so far, a review of the financial documents that have been included with meeting agenda show that Eckerd Siemens, right, that's the uh, um, the lawyer for the district, has billed the district approximately 400, I'm sorry, $528,949.94. Wirtz basically said, like in the meeting that, hey, this figure is actually closer to a million dollars, but we don't have any information about it. The article goes on to say the actual amount of the district is spent for legal counsel remains a mystery because no information reflecting invoices from Eckert Siemens was provided with the September agenda, a curious development with the November 7th municipal elections right around the corner. Right? Absolutely. So we know that Tons of district money, tons of, you know, the, supposedly these folks care about fiscal discipline. They care about taxpayer money and all this kind of stuff. And what are they doing? They're spending the money on to defend their ideological agenda. Money that should be going to our kids. It's just messed up. So that's what we got going on as we're going on Penridge. <clears throat> so we'll start putting that stuff up and we'll keep on the organizing. And, uh, as Ross said, uh, you know, people are looking for more door knockers, right? Uh, you're looking for, you know, more doc door knockers to um, the Penridge School Board uh, members who are running for office. Um, make sure that you're going to, uh, you know, uh, check it out. Get out there. Help out. Do what you can. Do what you can. Uh, last thing I want to talk about, talk about today Um Big day in Harrisburg uh, on, uh, well, days, I should say, um, beginning actually tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, the officially the uh, PA climate convergence is in Harrisburg, uh, October 1st and 2nd. That is Sunday and Monday. Um, however, on September 30th, right, that is Saturday night, there is a special um, kind of event with um, 
uh, Bill McKibben. Um, this can be a, they're calling it a wildfire side chat with Bill McKibben. Um, it's a hybrid event, um, which you can join in person at the Unitarian Church of Harrisburg. Um, that's at 1280. Uh, I'll put, I'll put links on this in today's show notes. Um, actually I'll just put, let me just go ahead and put the PA climate convergence link right in today's chat. Right. Um, you get information on all of the uh, upcoming events. Um, on October 1st is uh, the, the call the Festival of the Planet, right? Uh, which is basically an all day event. Um, this will be in the Soldiers Grove on Commonwealth Avenue. Um, and um, that is going to be from 10 a.m. until 7.30 p.m. I will be there for the day. Um, we'll be there as with Raging Chicken, We're going to be kind of conducting some interviews, kind of talking to lots of folks, um, and to, um, you know, uh, kind of join in the festivities, you know. Um, the other thing that's going to happen um, on the main stage in Sol- uh, Soldiers Grove um, on, at 6 p.m. on Sunday, uh, what was supposed to happen was that uh, uh, Jocelyn Diffenbaugh, if you remember her, she's the uh, from the Teen Banned Books organization in Kutztown. Uh, when they pushed back against uh, the banning of teen books, they started their own uh, book reading thing. She uh, was out in, uh, uh, I should say, she and Alan Gratz, right? Um, uh, Alan Gratz's book, which we had him, we interviewed Alan Gratz on this show. Um, his book, Two Degrees, was kind of banned from the Kutztown um, school district, right? Because it talked about climate change. Um, Jocelyn Diffenbaugh has been um, just a incredible organizer of, of students in the middle school and high schools um, with this uh, book banning thing. Thanks to the folks at Firefly Bookstore for uh, for hosting that, providing them a space um, and books for this. But anyways, what was supposed to happen on uh, Sunday was that uh, Jocelyn Diffenbaugh was going to interview Alan Gratz. Uh, Alan Gratz was going to be a keynote speaker um, at the Climate Convergence. We're talking about his book. We're talking about book banning and so on. Unfortunately, uh, Alan Gratz um, got sick, <laughs> got COVID, uh, so he will not be there. So um, uh, instead, um, yours truly, this guy right here, um, I will be interviewing Jocelyn Diffenbaugh um, uh, at six p.m. at the um, uh, at the the main stage in Soldiers Grove. Uh, we'll be talking about kind of the banning of books, and we're talking about. Um, like the climate, right? Um, we talk a little bit about what happened with the uh, two degrees probably, um, but also going to talk about, you know, how she and other folks and other kind of students and other organizers are really uh, thinking about um, what we should be doing around climate, um, what their thoughts are on climate, right? Um, and the importance of, you know, be talking about these issues actively in our schools and our community. Um, so I'm very excited about this. Um, be talking to Jocelyn Diffenbaugh, Again, uh, if all works out, um, if all works out, uh, we're also going to record that. And if, uh, if it works out, i got to check in with some of the organizers of the Convergence. If it works out, then uh, we can take that recording and uh, bring it to us on, uh, for Monday for Out to Coop Live. So as, as you know, um, I purposely do not have a show planned, uh, like an, an interview with somebody planned for Monday um, initially my plan was to take some of the audio, some of the things that we had, um, some of the interviews that I, um, did throughout the day on, uh, on Sunday 
and put together a little bit of a montage and play some of that for you on for our Monday night out to Coop Live. Um, still might do that. Um, give you some of those voices there too as well. Um, but if it works out um, and it looks if this if the interview works out well and the recordings come out good, um, I'd love to bring you that interview with Jocelyn Diffenbaugh, um from the PA Climate Convergence um, on. Um, there's also a very cool thing that's happening, um, on 8 PM on Monday, I'm sorry, on Sunday, uh, October 1st, this is at the Grace, Grace Methodist church. Um, that's 216 state street. It's a climate change theater action. Um, it's an evening of theatrical and musical performances. It should be awesome. Um, this is going to be uh, put on by the better path coalition. Um, I'll leave, read you a little bit about this. It says they're excited to announce an evening of climate theater and music to be presented on Sunday, October 1st in Harrisburg as the culminating event of day one of this year's PA climate convergence the program of six short plays will be presented in conjunction with a climate change theater action, a global festival that promotes the worldwide performance of theater pieces about the climate crisis and is designed bring communities together to take action on climate. This year's event will coincide with COP28 conference scheduled to take place in Dubai, right? Um, <clears throat> so that should be absolutely fantastic. Uh, now on Tuesday, I'm sorry, Monday, I don't know why I keep on doing this. On, uh, on Monday um, from 10.30 a.m. at the Fountain Hearing, that'll be, uh, at, uh, be meeting there. There'll be a press conference there at 1030 at the uh, Fountain Hearing. And from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. in the East Wing, there's going to be a people's hearing on climate change. It's going to be in-person recorded and uh, read testimony submitted by people across Pennsylvania. It's a people's hearing on climate change, the East Wing of the Capitol Building in Harrisburg. That is Monday, October 2nd from 1030 until 3 um, And uh, there'll be links. Again, I put that link in today's uh, chat. Um, I'll put that in, in the show notes too as well. And um, you can, uh, there's information there about how to testify there, um, how to have your voices heard, and how to show up and where to show up in the Capitol for the PA climate convergence. Um, so I, I'm thankful to all the folks that have put in all the energy of organizing this year's uh, PA climate convergence. I'm so happy that I can be there to be part of it. Um, looking forward to uh, talking with Jocelyn Diffenbaugh on Sunday evening. And uh, hopefully we can bring um, some of that experience to you if you're not able to come out there. If you are out in Harrisburg on Sunday, right, um, please stop by and see me. I'll have my Raging Chicken banner out there. Uh, we'll have a table. We're going to have um, some mics set up so that if you want to come, you want to give us a little thoughts on why you're there, um, kind of what your experiences are around climate, what your concerns are, um, or um, what's happening in your neck of the woods. That'd be awesome. Right. So that's uh, an upbeat way to end today's show. How's that? All right, everybody. So this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I want to thank you all for all the support you've given us over the years. I want to thank to all our members. I want to thank all our supporters. Uh, and I want to remind you that you want to help support uh, this show. Um, you can head on over to patreon.com slash RC press, where you can become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Um, get out there and knock some doors this weekend. If you can help out everybody in your community to make sure you get those school boards flipped back over so that we can bring some sanity back to our school boards, whether you're in Penridge, whether you're in Quakertown, whether you're in your Palisades, whether you're in Souderton, whether you're in central bucks, whether no matter where you're at, right? Make sure you get out there and make sure you can do what you can uh, and make sure that you're registered to vote and make sure that you vote in this year's election and get rid of the extremists that are on our school boards. All right, everybody, this is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Uh, thanks so much. Remember, head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. We'll have more coming for you. Hope to see you out in Harrisburg on Sunday. If not, check back with me on Monday night for Out to Coop Live at 7 p.m. See ya!
Stay in the house.